Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns, so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. This is the question breakdown for the preventive medicine chapter. A 16-year-old girl is brought to the office of her family physician by her mother for consultation. The girl is healthy and has been sexually active for the past year. Her mother asks for a pap test to be performed. What is the most appropriate advice to the mother and daughter regarding the timing of the pap test? Is it A, the pap test should be performed at the present time? B, the pap test should be performed at the time of the first sexually transmitted illness? C, the pap test should be performed when the patient is emotionally ready. D, the pap test should be performed when the patient reaches 18 years of age. Or E, the pap test should be performed when the patient reaches 21 years of age. So this question is pretty straightforward and essentially requires that you know current screening guidelines around pap and HPV testing. So the correct answer is E. The pap test should be performed when the patient reaches 21 years of age. Um, Cervical cancer should begin at the age of 21 years, regardless of sexual activity. So the learning point for this question is that current guidelines in, in the United States recommend screening women for cervical cancer between the ages of 21 and 65 years. Cervical cancer screening should not be performed in women younger than 21 years of age, regardless of the age of onset of sexual activity. And now, back to the show. This is a preventive medicine chapter from USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. Cover all but the left-hand column and give the appropriate screening recommendations. Although other guidelines for cancer screening are in clinical use, the recommendations from the American Cancer Society are a good guideline to use for the USMLE. For colorectal cancer, the age generally is 
50 years and above for all of the following studies. Colonoscopy can be performed every 10 years. Flexible sigmoidoscopy or double contrast barium enema or CT colonography can be performed every five years. Fecal occult blood testing or fecal immunochemical testing can be performed annually, or a stool DNA test can be performed every three years. For prostate cancer screening, the technique is a prostate-specific antigen or PSA test beginning at age 50 years, except in men who are higher risk, which includes African Americans who should be started at age 45, and then at age 40 in patients who have a first-degree relative diagnosed at an early age. However, PSA testing has come into question more recently, and now the idea is shared decision-making in which the patient's informed of risks and benefits of testing. So this is likely not going to show up on the USMLE. For cervical cancer screening, the procedures are pap smear or a pap with an HPV co-test. The recommendation is to begin at age 21 years, regardless of sexual activity. If a conventional pap test is used, test every three years from ages 21 to 65 years of age. PAP and HPV co-testing should not be used for women 30 years or older. Test every five years in women 30 to 65 years of age if both HPV and cytology tests are negative. Screening may be stopped after age 65 years with adequate negative prior screening and no history of CIN2 or higher. Endometrial cancer, the procedure is endometrial biopsy. There's no recommendation for routine screening in the absence of symptoms. For breast cancer, the procedure is mammography and generally begins at age 50 years and above and occurs every one to two years depending on guidelines. It's a bit more controversial if patients between 40 and 49 years should be screened, and this is unlikely to be tested on the USMLE. For lung cancer screening, the procedure is low-dose CT scan. An annual CT is controversial, but may be indicated for smokers and former smokers ages 55 to 74 years who have smoked at least 30 pack years. Question 2. True or false? Tumor markers are generally not used for cancer screening. True. PSA is the exception to this rule. Alpha-fetoprotein, which tests for liver and testicular cancer, CEA, CA125, and other serum markers are not appropriate for screening in the general population. However, look for abnormal lab values to show up in questions as a clue to diagnosis. Question 3. Urinalysis should not be used to screen the general population for bladder cancer. True. Screening with urinalysis for urinary tract cancer, which causes hematuria, is not recommended. However, look for persistent, painless hematuria as a clue that urinary tract cancer may be present. Question 4. Cover the right-hand column and give the indications for each of the following vaccines in adults. Hepatitis B. Adolescents through 18 years of age and adults at increased risk of hepatitis B virus infection. Children are vaccinated as well. For influenza, 
This should be given to everyone six months or older, especially pregnant women, adults over 50, people with chronic medical conditions or immunocompromised status, and their caregivers, and also to healthcare workers. Pneumococcus. The 13-valent pneumococcal antigen, or PCV13, and 23-valent pneumococcal polysaccharide vaccine, the PPSV23, should be given to all adults 65 years of age and older. The PPSV23 should be given to adults ages 19 to 64 years with chronic heart disease, chronic lung disease, chronic liver disease, diabetes mellitus, alcoholism, or cigarette use. Both the PCV and PPSV23 should be given to immunocompromised adults ages 19 to 64 years. Immunocompromised status includes HIV, chronic renal failure, leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin disease, generalized malignancy, multiple myeloma, and solid organ transplantation. Rubella should be given to all non-pregnant women of childbearing age and healthcare workers. Women of childbearing age who lack immunity or history of immunization. Do not give to pregnant women. Women should avoid pregnancy for four weeks after receiving the vaccine. Do not give to severely immunocompromised patients. Tetanus should be given to all adults ages 11 and over as a tetanus booster with Tdap every 10 years. Give tetanus prophylaxis for any wound if vaccination history is unknown or the patient has received fewer than three doses. Give tetanus booster preferably with Tdap, in people with full vaccination history if more than five years have passed since the last dose for all wounds other than clean, minor wounds, including burns. Give tetanus immunoglobulin with vaccine for patients with unknown or incomplete vaccination and unclean or major wounds. Tdap should be given to women with every pregnancy regardless of their prior immunization history preferably in the late second or the third trimester. Adults who have or anticipate having close contact with an infant younger than 12 months old should receive a single dose of Tdap. Healthcare workers should receive Tdap as well. Question 5. Define the following rates that are commonly seen on the USMLE. Birth rate is defined as live births per 1,000 population. Fertility rate is live births per 1,000 population of women aged 15 to 45 years. Death rate is deaths per 1,000 population. Neonatal mortality rate is neonatal deaths in the first 28 days of life divided by 1,000 live births. Perinatal mortality rate is neonatal deaths plus stillbirths per 1,000 total births. Infant mortality rate is deaths from 0 to 1 year per 1,000 live births. Maternal mortality rate is maternal pregnancy-related deaths, which are deaths while pregnant or in the first 42 days after delivery, per 100,000 live births. Question 6. Define stillbirth. A stillbirth or fetal death is defined as a prenatal or natal, meaning during delivery, death, after 20 weeks of gestation. Question 7. Name the major cause of neonatal mortality. What is the neonatal mortality rate in the United States? 
The major cause of neonatal mortality is prematurity. The neonatal mortality rate in the United States is roughly 6 per 1,000. Question 8. List the top three causes of infant mortality in the United States. Congenital abnormalities, prematurity or low birth weight, and sudden infant death syndrome. Question 9. List the top three causes of maternal mortality in the United States. Pulmonary embolus, hypertension, and pregnancy-induced hypertension as preeclampsia or eclampsia, and hemorrhage. The rate increases with age and is higher among black women. Question 10. What is the basic difference between Medicare and Medicaid? Medicare is health insurance for people who are eligible for Social Security, primarily people older than 65 years, as well as permanently or totally disabled people and people with end-stage renal disease. Nursing home fees are paid by Medicare only for a short time after a hospital admission. Then they are paid by the patient. If the patient has no money, the state usually helps. Medicaid covers the indigent and poor who are deemed eligible according to the criteria of individual states. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at InsideTheBoards.com including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for step two, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.